Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about opening schools during a global pandemic. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me, or if you want to book a training, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. This episode was recorded on July 3rd, 2020. Without further ado, let's jump on over to the episode. I keep reading, hearing, listening to the news about everybody's differing opinions regarding opening schools, how to open schools, do we continue to keep kids at home during their time off. And so I wanted to address this topic thoroughly. We are experiencing so many cracks in our system right now that there's the massive call for systemic change. I'm an educator. That's what I am. That's what I do. That's what I've always done. My specialization is in infant-toddler development, so birth to three but I have an elementary teaching credential for K to 12. I've taught college for over a decade and graduate school. So I have a lot of experience in the education arena, as well as in the child development and family systems arena. So I feel like I get to have a professional opinion about this. Here's what I think. You know this already about me, that I really, truly trust human development. I believe in forward growth with supportive scaffolding, and anybody can do that for anyone. So that doesn't necessarily have to happen in a brick and mortar school. Any parent can scaffold learning for children by expanding the language of whatever it is that they're doing, or by letting children help them cook or garden or do whatever the things that they do naturally around the house. So that can be done. Education is something that happens all the time. It's not this magical thing that happens out of a textbook in a classroom with one single teacher. Everybody in the world is our teachers. So let's start from there because that's really what what I think about. But the problem with this idea of school and school being the universal idea that we all go to one building, one place, have classrooms, go to the next grade. The problem with that idea is that then if we don't have that, then we go to the default negative, oh my gosh, if my child can't go do that thing, then they're not gonna learn anything and they're gonna be stunted or they're gonna be behind or they're not gonna continue to grow. And nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, we absolutely as a country, as a community, as a society, even as just families, do a better job at supporting learning all the time in all of our environments. And we can do things to incorporate that into 
people's sort of natural livelihood, but we don't send people to class to learn those kinds of things. Instead, we take children from families and send them to a different place to learn facts and material that's created by a curriculum company. And I'm not anti-school at all. I just believe that there is a much bigger, broader picture of learning and family support that we need to keep track of in the big picture and in particular when we're living in a global pandemic because now we're making the choice between learning and living. No joke. We are living in a global pandemic, so we're making decisions about going to school that determine whether we prioritize learning in a classroom over living our lives, over having our children live or somebody in our family potentially die from this disease. So when I hear this thing, and, and I've heard it, there's a, there's a school in my area that's a school district that has decided, you know what, we're just going to open, we're not going to do masks, we're not going to do social distancing. Kids don't really get this disease anyway, so it's not going to be that big a deal. And I just want to like throw my arms in the air and say, what? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Of course children get this disease. Do they get it at the same rate as elderly people in nursing homes? Maybe not. Does that matter if it's your child who gets the disease? Does that matter if it's your child who gets the disease and the one that dies from the disease? None of us are willing to sacrifice our children. And frankly, I'm not really willing to sacrifice anyone else's child either for those kinds of numbers about a disease that we have so little understanding of and certainly so little of a handle on. We haven't managed this disease yet. And until we do, we cannot send children back to school in any sort of regular capacity. So one of the things that we should really be thinking about and talking about, it's about changing our curriculum and our education system not so much about changing children and families. All right, let's dig in a little bit deeper. My voice sounds a little <clears throat> weak, partly because I haven't been talking for a few days because I had surgery. So doing great, doing fine, but my voice might be a little bit wobbly. So I uh, hope you can give me a little grace for that. Thanks. <clears throat> All right, so our first problem is we're in a global pandemic. We are living in COVID-19 world and we don't have control of COVID-19. Children actually do get coronavirus and they also spread coronavirus to others. One of the biggest deals when you become a teacher is your first year of teaching. You're sick all the time because why? Because you're introduced to all these different germs in the classroom from a whole bunch of different kids from a different from different families, and your body is having to build antibodies and start to adjust to those new illnesses. Same things happen across kiddos. They get each other sick. So the beginning of school, whenever kids go back to school, we know sickness is occurring. We know sickness is going to occur. 
So then my crazy question is, okay, school's going to start in late August. We're going to send all of our kids back to school. We know that there's normal sicknesses that kids get when they go back to school, but this year, surprise, we have a sickness that's going to show up that might kill you. Now, would you send your kid into that classroom? There's no way in the world that I would send my child into that room. As parents, even if your child were not likely to get the illness and even less likely to die from the illness, but you know that disease was prevalent and but not under control and that there was still no treatment and no vaccine available, would you send your child to school? My, my thinking is that most of the people that I know in the world would say no, and I trust that in humanity, most people are pretty much smart enough to say no, they wouldn't. The only reason that they would do it is because they're forced to because of disparities and economic distress where they don't have any other choice but to send their children to school so they can work and serve the rest of us while we get to keep our children safe at home. All right, so back to this phrase that I keep hearing over and over again on different either the news or just podcasts or people just talking about it in general, which where, where people say, you know, kids need school. Kids need school or they're not going to learn. Talked about that a little bit already. However, I just want to expose the hypocrisy of thinking that, okay, right in front of us, we have a disease, COVID-19. We have the most experienced, educated scientists in the entire world telling us that this is a deadly disease. We don't have control of it. We need to manage the spread before we um, stop social distancing, wearing masks. And their opinion is that kids should not go back to school until we have control of this virus. So what we're going to do is then send our children back to school and say, oh, don't worry. You don't need to believe the real scientists, the most credible scientists in the whole world. We're going to protect you. So then exactly what is the point of sending kids to school to learn about science if we aren't even going to listen to our own scientists and take their information in? and use it for the good of humanity. It makes no sense. Okay, let's jump to the next subject. How about math? We have expert mathematicians working on how the spread of this disease works. So one person gets the disease, then they're just not one person who has the disease and then it only impacts them. That one person can spread set, spread the disease to several, several more People, they can spread it to dozens of people, even hundreds of people. And again, these mathematicians have said, this isn't a great idea. You need to pay attention. You need to wear a mask. You need to social distance. You need to, you know, until we get this disease under control, we need to control the spread. So why? 
Why do we want to send kids back to school to learn math when we as adults who have gone through the school system aren't willing to listen to the brightest minds in mathematics in existence today? It doesn't make any sense. Now let's add a social science side of it or a historical side side of it. We have been through pandemics before. We know that we have to stop the spread before we can stop the disease. We also know that in order to take care of ourselves, we have to also take care of others. It's part of being part of a social community that we all agree to take care of ourselves and take care of each other at the same time in order to get to the result that we want, which is herd immunity actually, but where we get to the point where we don't have to worry about COVID-19 spread anymore. So kids actually are learning a whole lot outside of school right now because they're listening to all the things that people are saying about this and whether or not they should go back to school. Sure, some of them want to go back to school. Some of them don't want to go back to school. There's a variety of reasons for both sides. But the truth is, the people who need to be informing us about whether it's a safe and a good idea to go back to school are not the kids, are not the parents, are not the business owners, are not the politicians. It's the scientists. So the other day I heard Betsy DeVos, so she's the Secretary of Education for the United States, and she said, quote, there's nothing in the data that suggests that kids being back at school is any more dangerous than kids being at home. Okay, unquote. I just think, okay, number one, let's start with this. Not a scientist. In my mind, questionable educator, not an educator. But in a highly political position as U.S. Secretary of Education, she wants to be the one who decides if kids go to school or not. It's not her decision, and people should not be looking to her to make that decision unless she's making it in consultation with people who are qualified to decide whether home is safer than school with a bunch of other families integrating together. So I wonder if kids would be so welcome back if they didn't come with funding attached to each one of them. How much money does each kid bring with them to the school that they attend? Like that's a really legitimate question that if just going to school didn't bring any money with it, would everybody still want kids to go back to school? Would that still be the would that still be a pressure point or would things maybe be different? I don't know because that's not our option. Kids do come with funding because of course it takes money to educate children and that's perfectly appropriate. However, we're America. We're the United States of America. We can do things differently. We can be more creative. And we can still not put our children at risk and other people at risk and still fund our schools without having to have children stand in a spot in order to collect the money to support that school. 
That doesn't make any sense. These are dire times and require creative solutions. All right, so we also know, like, kids learn the same everywhere. It's not... It's not like there's this one location, a classroom, that kids can learn. And when they're not there, then they don't learn anything. That's, that's, a, that's a really deficit-based model of thinking about human development and children in particular. Children are taking in information all over the place and everywhere. So people can teach differently or teach different material, or teach the same material in different settings, and it can be just as beneficial. Children aren't going to lose a significant amount of schooling because they're not in school in the fall. Let me explain that a little bit, because one of the things that's really important is when children learn to read by age, by the third grade, that's sort of like a milestone success mark. We know we're doing education well when we can measure that children can read by third grade. Now we've kind of taken that and made the big flawed thinking error and decided if we try to teach, to teach kids to read earlier, then they'll be better readers at third grade. Completely inaccurate. However, many of our preschool programs and kindergarten programs focus on teaching children how to read in those early, early years. And yet, if we would just wait until they were six or seven years old, we could teach all of the kids to read in 20 hours of instruction. So rather than spend three or four years teaching kids to read, we could really just spend 20 hours teaching kids to read. And that would be more efficient use of our of the kids' time for sure, but also teaching time. I'm not really sure why people don't ha haven't really caught on to that yet. But but the the literacy councils in the world use that model to teach adults who don't know how to read how to read in 20 hours. You can pretty much teach anybody to read in 20 hours. Now, what does that mean? Why am I talking about that? I'm talking about that because once you learn how to read, it's very similar to riding a bicycle. Once you know how to ride a bike, you rarely forget. You don't forget how to ride a bike unless you have an injury that, you know, you have to relearn it. You don't forget how to ride a bike. Think about yourself as an adult. If you know how to read words, You've, you've unlocked the system. You know how the system works. And so even if you're not reading every single day in a classroom or reading every single day for your job, you don't just like, oh my gosh, I've fallen so far behind because I haven't been practicing my reading. You don't need to practice your reading once you become a reader. So this whole idea that everybody's going to fall back and, and forget everything that they've always learned or that they've already learned is a pretty ridiculous way of thinking. The other part of that is the way the brain is set up neuropsychologically is we don't need a whole bunch of facts sitting at the top of our brain. So yeah, sure, kids are going to forget some of the things that they were learning at that point in time in school but that's okay because the brain is set up as a use it or lose it. 
they're using the part of the, their brain that they need when they're working at home in a homeschool environment or a digital environment or whatever educational environment they're learning in. And then they switch over and go back to a classroom environment. They're going to remember what they were working on because it's going to be back in their face and they're going to need to be using that information. I question whether we teach too many facts and not enough problem-solving skills or critical thinking skills or innovation implementation skills or even social skills and humanity skills at school because those are things that we really need to carry with us all the time. Random facts we can get anywhere at any time. But, but the idea that we're just going to have all these kids fall so, so, so far behind doesn't really pan out in modern educational history or theory. All right, so since we really do have an understanding of how children learn how to read, because we know this, we can address this right out of the gate in education and in families. Like as people have babies, we can start talking to them about the importance of reading to your infant baby. These are things that are so much, we get so much more bang for our buck this way in terms of education than we do when we try to take babies from their parents and teach them something in what would be really considered a stressful environment because babies need to be close to their parents and loving caregivers early on. So we can prioritize literacy learning with project-based learning experiences at home. And what I mean by that is create something, create a project that you wanna do with your children. Sit down with them, ask them, hey, what do you, what are you super interested in right now? Maybe it's spaceships or maybe it's robots or maybe it's gardening or maybe it's the ocean or whatever. And then build an entire educational project around that concept. Now, in a traditional or in a classic project approach, this would be much more fluid in terms of continuing to explore the inquiry of the child in terms of what they're interested in, keep going down the different paths they're interested in. But I understand parents have to work. Parents are doing their thing while they're trying to also get kids to do school at home. But this is a way when we keep children intrigued and interested in what they're learning about, then they will go learn about it themselves. And they don't need us there all the time just monitoring the worksheets. So I get it. People want to send their kids back to school. It's difficult to have kids at home because we've done such a fabulous job of taking kids out of the home for so much of the day and taking parents out of the home for most of the day so they could work. But even though children have a very, very low risk, I think that most parents aren't willing to take that risk with their child and we've already noted that this virus has mutated. And we don't know when this virus is going to mutate and then become primarily spread by children. If we expose it to children on a mass scale, that's how mutations begin to shift. And then 
maybe the the super spreaders are going to turn out to be the six-year-olds. Children are changing and learning new things every day. We need to give them credit for being and wanting to be in charge of their own learning and their own interest and their own personhood. And and it's okay to let them do that. We don't have to control every segment of development. We get so, so hung up on why we need to get children back to school. It's not really because we need them to learn to read or because we're afraid that they'll fall behind or catch up or because we're really tired of having them at home. But we're really fairly ill-equipped for working full-time and having children at home. And I'm not really sure that that's, that's the best model for families or the best model for communities or even the best model for employees, I mean, employers. So I still think that we have to enlist our corporations and our the corporate world into the idea that they are part of the family and the education system. All of a sudden, businesses are experiencing the quote-unquote mother's choice, you know, do you work or do you stay home with your kids, as the only choice for work. I think employers need to be brought into this conversation and the well-being of children and the well-being of families. Instead of just benefiting from the creativity and activity of parents in the workforce. Babies are part of businesses. There's no way around it that babies are born. People are people are part of family units and they have babies. So babies need to be part of business and that conversation. Why wouldn't corporate America want kids to go back to school? Most parents use school as full time child care. What if businesses and government looked at raising children as a community investment? We know from science the first three years are critical and super important to neurodevelopment across the lifespan. So maybe Target, Walmart, Google, Microsoft, and all the other big corporations could think twice about investing in their employees, young pe- the young people in their families, their babies. Wouldn't that be a brave new world where we look at investing in health and the development and well-being of each new baby that joins the world? We invest in that baby, not only in our families, not only in our communities, but also at, in our employment. Thank goodness taking care of babies really comes very naturally and innately from both sides, from the baby and from the parent in terms of protective urges. So parents have natural protective urges for their babies that are neuro- neurochemically driven through with oxytocin and endorphins and just that loving feeling that you have to take care of your baby. It's so arrogant though, I think, that school for under five-year-olds or under three believe that it's more important to learn how to read or to learn 
sort of quote-unquote academic skills than really investing in the loving give-and-take relationship between the parents and the children in those give-and-take relationships and build social engagement that goes on and on and on between parent and baby. Because that's those relationships within first the, the family as the community and then the school and the greater community all become invested in the good of everyone. So that's my show for today in t- terms of should kids go back to school? I say no and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.